now being recorded. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Reggie Bullock, and this is the This Is Recorded podcast. Once again, I want to say thank you for everybody uh, listening, everybody telling a friend, everybody spreading the word, everybody getting a message out there that your boy Reggie got a podcast, man, just doing something positive, you know. Uh, thank you to Canada. Got some listeners in Canada. Seen some in Sweden. Like once I said, like always, I don't know. I don't promote it too heavy yet. I'm still testing it, so I really appreciate any listen I get. Um, but mainly, please spread the word about the podcast and uh, tell a friend, like old school way. You know, you know, just hey, you can text them or you can just tell them. Tell them at work. It's some shit to do. It's a thing to do. It's just something that's cool that I'm doing and uh, trying to promote, and uh, I'm trying to definitely uplift so I get guests on here, like guests I got today. Uh, dude, I knew for a while, man, uh, back in Lancaster, California. Um, my boy, Alton, and uh, we're just going to get into this interview. So, Alton, how are you? I'm good, Reggie. Thanks for the thanks for the time. Okay, Glad man. to be on the Ooh. podcast. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously your name is Alton, so tell the people where are you from? Uh, I'm from L.A. Um, grew up in Lancaster. Uh, spent like 10 years out there. Went to high school, middle school. Uh, so basically just from the SoCal area. Okay. So where were you born at? I was born in, uh, I just found out I was born in Culver City. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, though, uh, 110th East and Main. Um, but I found out I was born in Culver City like a couple months ago. But yeah, born and raised out in, in LA. Uh, spent a lot of time in Lancaster. So Maine is like that's near Lock High School, right? Yes, sir. I live right down the street from Lock High School, like literally on the a, same street. I had an aunt that was from uh, Lock High School, and uh, well, she lived around the corner from Lock, and I was like, man, that school looked crazy when <laughs> I used to pass it and see it. I was like, wow. This is the infamous Lock High School. I was just, you know, I was, the, I was a young kid, but my older cousins went to Lock. Um, this is, you know, during the same time frame when uh, Tyrese was going to Lock. Tyrese actually came by my mom's apartment a couple times. Like, this is before he got famous. Like, but yeah, it's it's right there, 110th and Main on the corner. Wow, that is uh, crazy. So, uh. Tell us a little bit about your early life and growing up, like, uh, you know, um, how many brothers and sisters you have and what was it like in your household growing up? Yeah, definitely, man. My life was uh, my life was crazy growing up. Um, so I was born in L.A. Um, we moved around so much. Uh, a period of time where we were homeless, I remember walking, you know, from sunset to sunrise with my parents because I was the oldest. So we didn't really have a place to stay, you know, bouncing back and forth between family. Uh, I'd say things started to settle um, when I was around, like, five or six because I moved in with my grandmother. And then uh, my grandmother kind of took care of me while my mom, you know, kept the my younger siblings. Um, in my immediate family, um, there's there's six of us. Um, in, my, in my entire family, I think I have about 23 siblings that I can count. Because uh, on my dad's side, I mean, my dad was in the uh, was in the Air Force, and he just has kids all over the country. Everywhere he was stationed, he had he had another family. So a lot of these uh, siblings I didn't really meet until I was later. Um, but back to childhood. Um, childhood was you know it was it was difficult um, mainly because I was never in the same school for more than like six months to a year. Like I was always just bouncing around in different schools. And my family um, didn't really settle much until we got to the AV, till we got to the Palmdale, Lancaster area. And that was, like, my first time spending, like, four years in the same school. Uh, so when I first got out there, um, it was super different. I mean, you go from an area in South Central California where it's all black and Latino to an area where, at that time, um, there were no blacks, Latinos. It was just pretty much, you know, white people. And when we got out there, you know, was dealing with the the, the racism in the area. Uh, they they wanted to put me and my siblings in like remedial classes because, 
you know, we were, we were blacked from South Central. And then once they actually tested us and realized, you know, hey, we're smart, you know, they, then everything like flipped around. They wanted us to be like tutors and everything. And this is, you know, this is one of those situations where, you know, they, they're, they don't really know, right? They don't, they're not used to black people. We're not used to white people. It's like, you know, we just, it's the mid nineties. Um, we were there for a little bit and then, um, we, uh, moved over from, from Palmdale to Lancaster in the middle of my seventh grade year. So I finished out seventh grade and eighth grade, um, in Lancaster middle school. Um, most of my, my lifelong friends were made, you know, during that time frame. Uh, high school was, you know, a blast for me. I know high school sucks for a lot of people, but I mean, high school was a blast for me. I mean, I just, I got to meet a bunch of different people. Uh, just hanging out all the time. There's always jokes. I mean, you had to have thick skin, you know. I mean, you know, you were there. So you had to have thick yeah. skin. Um, yeah, growing up out in the AV, man, it was, it was just, it was cutthroat. It was fun though. And, um, you know, still dealing with, you know, the family, you know, issues and moving around, but at least we we're moving around the same city. Um, see, after, uh, after that, I'd say, you know, from, that, that was pretty much the culmination of like my childhood was like in high school, you know, just that's where I met the bulk of my, you know, lifelong friends and made all the relationships that, you know, I still keep alive to this day. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, well, I'm a music lover. So I ask all my interviews, all my people I'm interviewing, like what type of music uh, did you first grow up listening to in your household and what type of music did you gravitate towards? as you got your own taste of your own music. Yeah, so in um in my household it started at a young age. I mean, there were always, you know, the oldies playing, you know, the the Motown music, uh then you got the Prince era, the Michael Jackson era. That was the music that I was playing, you know, um in my childhood. But also, um uh my parents were kind of they had a kind of an eclectic taste. Uh, at least that's how I would have described it back then. Like now, I just described it as just people liking different music. But my parents also listened to to rock, um, to gospel. Um, like you know, we listened to like you know Kiss, Van Halen. Like it was weird being like the black family like listening to that type of music. I mean, most of it was you know oldies and stuff. But you know, knowing that my parents also had a different you know taste on music was pretty good. And then as I started to get older, um, I focused more on, um, I'd say hip hop and R&B, like that's my favorite genre, but I still have that like eclectic taste that was given to me as a childhood. So I do listen to, you know, a lot of, of rock and roll music. Um, don't really touch country or metal, but, um, I'll listen to just about anything, you know, but mostly just hip hop and R&B. Yeah, and I feel like that in California, it's a place where it's a lot of free spirits and, you know, people are into a bunch of different stuff. So, I mean, that, that's easy to understand for me and should be for most people growing up in the California area. But, um, so your early, um, life as well, still, um, staying on that topic, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up, like at a young age? Man, I wanted to be a lot of things. Um, I wanted to be, um, first I wanted to be a math teacher. Um, I really, I'm really, I really love math. I'm really good at math. I wanted to be a math teacher. Uh, that was a, a, a long childhood dream. I also wanted to be a pilot. Um, but I found out, uh, very quickly I was too short to be a pilot. <laughs> they don't make, um, you know, pilot chairs in different sizes. So it's not like you can adjust it. Uh, so like pilot was out. Uh, so the math teacher kind of stuck until, I realized that it just wasn't. I mean, I had this this idea in my head as a kid that I wanted to make, you know, $4,000, you know, a month. Like, that that would be a dope salary to make. I'll be a math teacher. And then when I got older, I realized that just wasn't going to cut it. Um, not in California, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not out here, man. So um, that's... So that, that math teacher dream kind of died. I did, I did do some tutoring for a while. I did do some teaching. Um, but it just, you know, being a teacher just wasn't, you know, fulfilling in terms of salary. Like, yeah, I was helping students, but you also have to live. It was just really hard to live on a teacher's salary. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's a shame. Like, you know, like teachers are really responsible because for most kids, I would say there's not too much teaching going on at home. 
So teachers are responsible for teaching us most of our life skills, yet they get paid so shitty. And, you know, possibly should hold guns, but that's a whole other fucking topic. But that's just like, it's just always amazed me how people that want to be teachers are usually some really good people, but even the teachers that are bad teachers, they're probably fucking frustrated because they're not making no money and they got to deal with your ass trying to make jokes in their class while they're trying to teach. So it's like, <laughs> yo, that's annoying. It's fun. <laughs> it is. I mean, I know I've, I got kicked out of plenty of classes. So <laughs> Yeah, oh, because all of us, shout out to my boy Chris, who Chisholm, your brother, man, everybody like, yo, we love jokes. Like, I mean, that's what we did, and everybody had to be tough. Like you said, like, there was no, like, you know, like, I'm going to cry now because it's going to be worse for you if you get feelings about it. Like, you're really going to get roasted if you get feelings about it. So that's just not really, really good for you at all. So, um, so how was life in Lancaster? Like, how did you see it develop, like, over the years? Because when I got there, it was probably 2001. I moved there from Virginia, so it was like I kind of seen some racism. I lived on the east side, you know, uh, 17th Street East, Avenue J, um, and it was a lot of black people and stuff like that, I mean, in my area. So how how did you see it develop, like, over the years, like when you met Chris and all and stuff like that? Yeah, so I think I think um, the way the, the arc went was that, when I got there, it was it was um, a lot of overt racism, mostly because people were just unfamiliar with being around black people. They just didn't they just didn't know. And then slowly but surely, like my my parents would make friends. It was easy for as a kid because kids we were not, you learn racism. You're not you know you're not born with it. So kids we played with kids all the time. But my parents, you know, they struggled to find other people they were to be friends with of other races. And so we noticed that, but um, I'd say when it kind of finally like hit me in the face that racism was real um, was the the most interesting shit that ever happened to me as a kid. I think I was like 12 or 13 years old. Uh, there was a, another kid in the in the neighborhood. He lived part time with his dad and part time with his mom. Because his parents were divorced, and he loved basketball. I love basketball, and then so we we ended up like uh, I was end up dribbling my ball down the street and realized I had played a game against him before. And so we stopped, and we're playing basketball in his front yard. And so he goes in the bathroom, and there's, like, a giant Confederate flag in the garage. I'm not playing in no mind. I don't know what the fuck a Confederate flag even means at this point. And um, his his dad comes out, and his dad was like, yo, um, I'm going to be straight up with you. Like, I don't like black people. He's like, he's like, but my son likes you, and my son wants to play with you. And I'm not trying to raise my son to be like me. So you can play as long as he here, but if he's not here, like, I don't want you on my court. Like, I don't want to see you. And I was like, damn, like, it's getting hit with that in the face at, like, 12, 13 years old. Like, what the fuck? Like, you're, you're just caught off guard. But at the same time, I respect, you know, him coming out and telling me, like, overtly. It wasn't like he was sugarcoating and just being a dick. He was like, yo, look, this is how I feel. I don't want my kid to be raised like this, but this is how I feel. And so yeah. that, that, that was, like, the, you know, the trajectory for me. Like, it was pretty unnoticeable in terms of, like, the kids. Like, you're playing with other kids at school and everything, and it is, it's not noticeable. It's only, it was only noticeable to me uh, with my parents, but that was the first time it was noticeable to me uh, from an adult directed directly at me. Yeah, I mean, there I remember, like, you know, if you've seen the movie Higher Learning, it was like a kid that lived next to us that was, like, the white guy in there. He had the little Nazi stuff, but he was real quiet about it because he probably was a punk and he wanted to get fucked up. So, like, that was, like, the only thing in Lancaster for me in that area. And then I did go to Lancaster High School, which was, like, you know, mostly white, but it had a good mix of people in there. And then, you know, they, when you're in ninth grade, it's just racism in there. So, but Lancaster has historically been a kind of, like, weird racist for like where the white people probably feel like I remember when this was a good town before all you blacks came in there. That's how most of the neighborhoods are. It's like they're like, oh, this used to be a great place. But that's why make America great again is a, a code word that most people know what the fuck it means, but people don't want to uh, acknowledge that's what it means. 
That's crazy, bro. Man, because like I, I was, I, that just brought up a point. Like when I was in elementary, I had a friend. Um, I won't say his name, but I had a friend in elementary, and we were cool. Um, I saw him on Facebook, uh, like as adults. I decided to hit him up, and he just flat out told me he was like, "Hey, yo, I know we were good friends in um in you know elementary, like middle school, but like I don't fuck with black people no more. Like we can't be friends." And I was like, "Damn!" Like, like I say, man, racism is taught. Like, I want, I kind of wanted to ask him, like, well, where did that change come from? But I mean, I just let it go. Like, yo, you know, past is the past. You know, hold on to the childhood memories, and you know, know now that you're a shitty person. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's it's crazy. They basically hate themselves. Is what I basically get from it. So you say you uh, were into basketball. Like, what other sports were you into? Yeah, I did everything I could. Um, basketball, football, um, baseball, uh, track, soccer. I did everything I could. Um, I wasn't really good at those other sports, <laughs> but I played them. Um, I'd say, like, my, my top two sports that I was actually decent at were basketball and football. I was about to try it out, like, freshman year. Um, I tried out wrestling senior year, um, but everything, I just didn't really, you know, Try like I was just better at basketball and football. So the, I'm five six, so it's hard for me. But for your height and stuff like that, was sports a challenge for you, or was it an advantage for you? Because I know some running backs, like Maurice Jones, Drew, people like that. It's like if they're short and small, but they're strong, it's kind of an advantage for them. So what challenges did you face with like playing sports and stuff like that, or just growing up being your height? Period. And growing up being my height, um, it was annoying um, because I remember the first time I got cut from a, a travel team. I was in the fourth grade. I went to um, I went to the tryout with uh, my best friend at the time. It was a kid named Chris. He was a white kid, and both me and Chris were like dumb nice, but they cut me because I was too short. Like I went to ask them, like, "Oh, why are you like, what? Are you serious? Like, I'm clearly the best person, you know, on the team. Like, yeah, you're too short. When we play against better teams." you'll get trapped in the backcourt. I'm like, I didn't get trapped in the backcourt doing tryouts, so why would I get trapped in the backcourt, like, doing an actual game? Like, but, you know, I was like, all right, cool, whatever. And then you kind of, you kind of, I kind of dealt with that, like, being short until I ran into uh, this one coach. Um, I think I was, like, 12 or 13 years old. And um, it happened because it was a publicized tryout in uh, Palmdale, California, for, like, the city leagues. And everybody has to try out. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you have a team or not. Like, everybody had a tryout. And I ranked number one in everything, like ball handling, shooting, speed, everything. I was ranked number one. And it's just like, that's what put me on in the area. It was like, oh, damn, this kid is good, you know, despite being, you know, short. And then so I had like a clear path to go from where I was at to playing basketball in Palmdale. And then fucked around and had to move <laughs> to Lancaster, and everything started all over again. Like, you know, first time I tried out, I got cut. And I asked him why I got cut, because you're too short. I was like, this is, you know, pointless. By the time I got to high school, um, it was a different basketball coach. Came out there, had no no intentions of really um, uh, doing too much. I'm like, you know, I'm going to do way more, you know, outside. I'll do AAU. I'll do, like, you know, other stuff instead of, like, you know, dealing with, like, high school ball. And then uh, the coach was actually uh, Coach Hedry. Uh, coaches, I think he coaches at Pete Knight now. Same coach that coached uh, Paul George. It was, you know, shout out Paul George from the city. And um, Coach Hedry was like, "Oh, can you shoot free throws for me?" And I'm like, "I'm like, yeah, I guess he assumed that I was gonna suck or something." And so it was a rebounding drill, and they didn't have enough people to to shoot. So I was like, "Cool, I'll shoot." And I just made every free throw. I made like must have made like ten free throws in a row. And he was like. He's like, you play? And I was like, yeah, man. He's like, all right, cool. Um, but I'm going to need you to miss because this is a rebounding drill. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I'll try to miss. And try to, like, force up bad shots so people can get rebounds. And then when the practice ended, he was like, you should come out. Um, you should come out. And then so Coach Hegarty, you know, gave me a shot. And then I got to, I got to play um, varsity uh, summer league. Uh, for a couple games, and then, then I had to go babysit my cousin, and then, you know, went back into that whole cycle of people not knowing who I was, and yes, because I was short. I mean, football was never a problem, though, being short. Um, 
I didn't. It was just football. I mean, because football is it's okay to be short. It's because you can we can move around. Um, but basketball was mostly the sport that had to deal with the most issues of being you know undersized. Definitely. So, what is your LA guy? Who are your uh, sports team professionals? A professional. Uh, I'm a Lakers fan. I'm a Niners fan. I'm an LA Kings fan for hockey and a Dodgers fan for baseball. Those are my professional teams. They're all LA based except for the Niners, because I grew up hating the Raiders because my parents were Raiders fans. Okay, so I mean, and I remember. Uh, you not believing in Cap the whole time. Like, you were like, ah, I can't stand Cap. And then the final game, (laughs) I remember you was like, God damn it, that's why, because he missed that pass. He was like, I told you no. Like, so even though, even though, even though I know where you stand as far as like racial issues and stuff like that, but, uh, do you feel like Cap does have it to play right now? Do you feel like he can play right now? Of course. Um, I hated Cap as a quarterback for the 49ers, <laughs> but um, he's better than probably 70% of the starting quarterbacks in the league right now. I mean, outside of, like, you know, Brady, Rodgers, you know, Green. Yeah, last year was garbage yeah. for a quarterback. Yeah, they were garbage quarterbacks. No trash. I mean, and that's what that's what you look at. You look at it like he, this man. You know, he he led a team to the Super Bowl. I mean, it should have been Smith. I mean, my my opinion. Um, but he's ultra talented, right? You you can't tell me that these. I mean, they were pulling out quarterbacks who haven't played in four years. Like it was just mind blowing. Like how obvious. Like this was like this was done to like to stop this man from being in the league. I mean, you pull a guy who hasn't played for four years and put him on a roster over a man who who's taking teams to the Super Bowl, just, that just doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I, right now. yeah, I mean, it's it's clear, like, what was going on. I just had to make it clear for the people so they were like, oh, fuck him, he's on their side. Like, yeah, you didn't like him as your quarterback, but do you do like him as a person? I do clearly know that. So in school, like, how were you as a student? Like, uh, your grades and stuff like that. How were your grades? Um, I I finished top ten percent. Um, my grades weren't they were they were good. I guess. I mean, I finished with a four point one six or something like that. But I didn't really give that much effort. <laughs> it's um like. High school, I kind of got burned out on high school, I'd say, my sophomore year. I mean, the issue's kind of dead now after, after actually talking to a teacher and working at the same school with her. Um, like, my freshman year, I did really well. Um, my sophomore year, I had, like, a 99% in one of my classes and ended up with a B in the class. It was a mistake. Now, like, you know, years later, talking to a teacher, she realized, like, oh, shit, I didn't realize I gave you the wrong grade. Um, but I just kind of just did enough like high school was high school came really really easy to me so it was easy for me to get a's um if i all i had to do was just basically show up like i did my homework in the class before um i can't say i was the best student i was just naturally um gifted i would say because i was not a good student yeah i was said that because um just over watching your posts and stuff over the years i know that your sister who I was in uh, classes with before, and your mom as well have gone on to, like, really take school seriously and rack up the degrees. Like, so where do you think your family gets that sense of, like, achieving uh, in school from? Um, I think it 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 goes um, – it's, it's a lot of competition, I guess. My family is very competitive with each other, but we're not in, like, that I want to tear you down competitive. It's like, yo, I'm – like. The reason why my mom got her first bachelor's degree because she she wanted to get her first bachelor's degree before I got my bachelor's degree. So she got she literally got her bachelor's degree a year before I got mine, and um, she had she got her master's the year before I got mine. Now she has two bachelors, two masters, and she's working on a PhD. My sister has a bachelor's and two masters, and it's mostly because you know we. We, I'm like I'm the I'm the front runner, you know. I go out there, I make it happen, and then my family and my siblings follow behind. And then my mom is like, I can't let my kids, you know, pass me up. 
Um, so that pushed her to do it. So we're all pushing each other. But I think it, it kind of, all that that kind of just built over time is that you know my mom is my mom is a she's a beast. I mean, she she had six kids. She worked. She took care of us. Um, and she was going to school. Like, like my mom also had a stroke, and they told her she would never be able to work a regular job again. That she was gonna have all these issues to deal with. And since she had a stroke, she got another master's degree, and she's working on her PhD, and she's holding down a full-time job. And so when you when you grow up in a household where people are so driven and so determined, it just it just forces you to, to just keep pushing forward. Like, there are no excuses. Like, if my mom can make those accomplishments after having a stroke, like, I have no excuse not to, to push forward and to, and to accomplish what I want to accomplish. And so that's kind of how – that's kind of where that all came from, my, my parents. Yeah, and that's why I brought that up, man, because I know it had to be something special going on in that family, and that's why I want to, you know, love what the podcast, what the Internet provides, and, uh, uh, these podcasts and everything. I want to bring people on and really uh, empower the black youth and empower black people in general, man, like that. There's some good families out there, and to also to educate other races that may listen to the podcast that, like, People come from really good families, so don't let the media or let somebody you walk by on the street or one bad encounter make you think that all black people are this way and they don't come from good homes and they're not educated. These stories like this need to be told, and I'm really, like, for sure, with the Internet and all these new things coming out, it's really going to, like, push the culture, black culture, and people forward to, like, know that, hey, it's some great things. It's really going to motivate more than anything other people to do, you know, great stuff. So after school, after high school, what did you do? Um, so after high school, um, I got into um, a few colleges, but I chose to stay home because I thought I was going to save money. Uh, terrible idea. I saved zero dollars. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I I chose to stay home because I was like, oh, I'll just do two years at a JC, even though I got into four-year schools because they didn't they weren't giving me um, enough financial aid um, to cover it without any loans. So I did two years at ABC, um, got really good grades. Um, I got a three five. I actually had to learn how to be a better student. Um, and then I got a couple um, grants uh, to UC Irvine, so I ended up going to UC Irvine. Uh, with all my everything paid for by uh, grants, by, by educational grants, and then um, yeah, so I went. I ended up going uh, to UC Irvine right after uh, two, spending two years, you know, at home. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, um, job wise, like I know you were a tutor because I was there, but what else other things have you done since you've been out of school? Ah, man, I've done a lot. Um, well, in school, while I was in school, I was running a computer repair business. So I was uh, fixing computers um, for money, making a couple hundred bucks, you know, a day, just fixing people's basic computer problems. Um, I've also run my own uh, consulting company, which it, it it didn't do as well, not for lack of skill, but for, for empathy. So basically, I charge... Um, five thousand dollars for twenty hours of my time, and that's like an undercharge. I could charge more, um, but I was charging that, and then I would get these, you know, these businesses, these mom and pop businesses that 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 needed help, and I would be helping them out. And I'm like, you know what? I can't take this kind of money from them. Like, they they need, you know, they need this business to survive. So I would help them you know, sharpen up their business and better prepare them for their for, to, to to grow and to make money, and I would just do it for free. I'm like, you know what, like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about paying me. I would just do it, like, pro bono. And I got to a point where I was carrying too many, like, pro bono businesses that it was just, like, taking, away, taking up my time. So I did the whole business consulting. I still do it now, and I still do some pro bono work, um, but I just, you know, transition out of that into uh, independent contracting. So I do a lot of uh, IT consulting and business consulting through other consulting companies because I just don't have the time to land my own contracts at this point. And then uh, from there, you know, I just moved into the startup life. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. We're going to definitely get to that part. Now, um, I know Chisholm loved cars, and I think you love cars too as well. So where did your love of cars come from? I think realistically it was just DNA, bro. Um, my um, my dad, my biological dad, um, was an Air Force was an Air Force mechanic, and then when he got out of the Air Force, he was a mechanic for just cars. And when I met my dad's side of the family, I just noticed like they were all into cars, like either classic cars, sports cars, and then the one one brother who's into um, motorcycles, and he has his own uh, motorcycle business. You know, it's just like, man, it's, I guess it was just in the blood. Wow. That's, that's yeah, I always wondered that, because I was like, you and Chisholm always talking about cars and stuff like that. And I've always also known with you as well, how you said that, you know, you thought you could save some money by staying local, that you all, you seem pretty good with your finances. Where did you get that, uh, like, way of being good with your finances, and have you always been like that, or did you mess up early and have to develop that? Uh, I was fortunately always good at it. Um, I, I can't give you the whole story where I blew a bunch of money and then you know, I learned. I was always good at it because I grew up poor, and I was told by one of my uh, teachers um, in high school that when you go to college, the first thing that happens to people who are poor and aren't used to having money, they get their financial aid check, and they blow their financial aid on shit they don't need. And that kind of it resonated with me because, like, you get that fat check. Like, you get a check that you, you as a poor person, you ain't never seen. Like, I, you get a check for $7,000 or $8,000 that's supposed to last you for the quarter, um, you know, for food, housing, and, you know, other expenses. And you're like, man, I just got a check for like seven thousand, eight thousand, like in my account. Let me go do some dumb shit. Like, I never had that urge to do the dumb shit because I I, I grew up poor, and then I had that teacher telling me that before I went into college. Like, yo, this is, you know, don't don't blow your money. And then I kind of just, you know, always kept that mind state. Like, you know, money, you need to you need to stretch this out. You need to you need to create a budget. You need to create a financial plan. And so don't spend anything that's not in your budget. And it's kind of, you know, I never had the experience the blowing money thing and then getting good at it later. It was just, I was just taught, you know, at that early age, either through experience or, you know, hearing it from other people. Okay. And then, like, um, as far as, like, apps and stuff like that, I see, like, a lot of, you know, now I see a lot of, like, uh, black young men, young women going into that industry. Now, are there a lot of black people that go into that industry and go to school for it? And are they um, accepted straight off the bat as well? It's, it's a good question. Um, when I started, um, no. Um, I was one of three black people um, in my entire major. Uh, when I graduated, I was the, because I was a little older than them, when I graduated, I was one of two um, black people in my entire graduating class. Um, and then it was really, really hard for me to land a job in tech um, because of that, right? I used to, I would, I, I really didn't start getting interviews until I either marked other on my resume or white. And then I would get, I got, I got a lot of interviews. Like, yes, it's wild, but it was serious. Like, I really didn't get interviews because, you know, I was black and they didn't even want to give me a shot. Um, it's, it's changed dramatically since then. Uh, cause that was, you know, some time ago. That was in 2009. Um, nine years ago, damn, all time. Um, but yeah, it was really, really hard initially. Um, and there weren't very many people. Now, um, there's way more people. It's still not enough, but there's definitely way more people. And then you got people um, empowering it. I mean, you got uh, Nas investing in tech companies. You got uh, Jay-Z investing in tech companies. You got, you know, the homie Nipsey Hussle, you know, investing in, you know, these tech companies. And it's that representation, right? You see, you see black people investing in tech companies. And then you see the youth that are also going into it and building um, building, you see a lot of black people now getting into the app space. 
it's still not easy for us. Um, that's for sure. Um, you, if you want to get investment, um, as a black person in this space, you gotta, like, you, say you gotta work twice as hard to get, you know, half as far. That's an understatement in tech. Like, you could, you can, I've talked to many of investors and I've, I've pitched many a times and they will cut someone else a check who said the exact same thing that you do because they look like them. Right. The only people, I can't say it's everyone because I've talked to, uh, younger investors. Like, I don't want to say it, I don't want to say it is, but I think it's kind of an ageism thing. Like, I talked to a couple of young investors, you know, between the ages of like 30 and 35, and they don't give a damn what your color is. Um, they get it. And they're like, yo, I can do that. Like, uh, Chris Saka, I don't think Chris Saka's in his 30s, he's probably in his 40s, but Chris Saka's a billion, billion dollar investor. It's like, you got to stop looking at, you know, what the race is. Like, yo, I don't give a care they're black. Like, this money that I don't get, I don't understand, so I'm going to invest in it because it's going to make money. Yeah. And so the times are changing. They're not – it's not happening overnight, but it's, you know, night and day better than it was back in 2009 when I first got out of school. Yeah, because my um, cousin, uh, shout-out to Lil Duke, he's going to school for that, and I see a lot of young black kids doing that. So. Like, what advice can you give them before they go to college, and what advice do you give them when they go to college? Or C, monkey wrench, can they develop it on their own without college and just get the knowledge by studying and busting their ass? Uh, you can. Um, you can get all the knowledge you can by studying and busting your ass. Um, college, I didn't learn much in undergrad. I didn't really learn anything until grad school. But what you learn in college is you learn how to be, you know, an adult. You learn how to socialize. You learn how to manage money. You learn how to manage time. Uh, that's what I got the most out of college. I would, I would encourage anybody, if they have the opportunity to go to a four-year university, to do it. I mean, online schools are cool. I mean, you get you get everything done, but you miss out on that social aspect, and you miss out on on networking. Networking is the biggest thing that will ever happen in terms of your career, in terms of a startup, in terms of life. Like you just need to get out there and be in that space where you can meet people that are in a better situation than you are, that you can help, and also being able to help other people who are in a less fortunate situation than you are. So. Definitely encourage going to college, um, and I encourage, you know, taking advantage of all the networking opportunities, on all the social opportunities, as well as, you know, sticking to, your, you know, getting your good grades. But in 20 years, no one's going to care what your GPA was in college, but they'll know, like, that, that was, you might have, you might have someone in your life that you met in college, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you know what? It's crazy because I talked to the white guy that I work with. He's heavy in the stocks. He tries to get everybody in the stock and everything. And I'm like, you know what? That's cool or whatever. But I said, for me as a young guy, yeah, me at my age or a young person going in, say you just go to a famous, uh, good college that you know a lot of people do a certain thing that you're interested in as well, whether it's music. Like you go to HBCU, whether it's UC Irvine, and you're trying to do something else or whatever. But you take just some basic classes, not really sure what you want to do. But while you're there, you meet a lot of friends and you find out who's doing what, who, like, how does they, how do they make it work? And are they great? And when you realize that, you can invest in people because the people that's going to create all these great apps and ideas and music and this and that, you can make more money by being down with them and investing in them than I feel like being in the stock market and throwing your money at something that you're not for sure is going to work. And it's technically the same thing. If I have a good little chunk of change and I go to college and I'm taking some little classes here and there now, I could see a young kid like, hey, if you could give me like $1,000 right now, I'll give you 15% of this company, some crazy random idea. Take Uber. Like, I'm going to create Uber. That sounds like a crazy-ass idea, but we see where Uber is now. I'm going to take Airbnb. An 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid 
You invest in them, you give them that early money, something like that, and if you do your paperwork right, you know, number one for black people, make sure the paperwork is right. Don't get fucked. Motown and all of them is a good way. I'm heavy on not getting fucked. Make sure that paperwork is right. And investing in people. And then it was like, he was like, nah, I don't really know. Like, he's so invested in the stock market. I'm like, man, you look at Nas and the JVs and stuff like that. They're investing in people. And it's fucking paying off. Because Nas was a part of that ring deal that Amazon bought. Nas had a stake in that. And so it's like, yo. And you, you know, trying to go to school and shit like that. And school is definitely good, but there's not school. School will not outlast hard work and a good, you know, rapport with people. Being a people person, school can't give you that. School can, you know, can give you some things, but it can't give you that. The intangibles to being a good worker and you know working well with others and learning others and growing with them and being there when they had nothing. You know this. That's just my personal opinion on it, but he didn't believe in that shit at all. So I'm sorry, okay. Yeah, and it's, it's unfortunately a lot of people like that. I mean, it's, you're right. I mean, it's much better to invest in people. Um, that's what I do. I mean, I, that's why it's hard for me to continue doing my consulting gig because I see real people that, you know, that really need the help, that really want to make these changes for their lives and their families. And I also have friends that, you know, that shocked me. I have friends that invested in what I'm doing. Like I had friends buy, you know, like, like, like buy into me as a person and uh, they're like, Hey, yo, what do you need? Like, I got you. I'll put this up for you. And I think one of the best networking opportunities I, I ever made was one of, um, was a mentor. I mean, like I, I learned from a mentor that he was like, he was like people think that millionaires and billionaires are arrogant and stuck up people. Some are. There are a lot of there are a lot of them out there. I won't say that all of them aren't, but there all the common denominators between all of them is they hate to have their time wasted. So if you come and you meet with one of these people, just be very sharp and to the point, and then they will help you. Like I have I have a bunch of advisors right now that are mentors that are all millionaires, or some of them are super millionaires, and. I'm I'm still nowhere near close to that, but these people are willing to help me out because I'm a genuine person. They're investing in me. I'm a sharp person. I come to them prepared every single time. I don't come there and uh uh, uh it's like no, this is what I came here for. This is what I'm gonna talk about. This is what I need help, and then this is what I need from you. And then I and I'm also available for them. Like my one of my mentors, um, if she asks me to do anything, I do it. I don't even second guess it. Like. She was like, hey, Elton, I need you to um, be here at the Savannah as a volunteer, and I need you to take care of X, Y, and Z. I was like, cool, when is it, what time? Because, you know, you you give more than you get, you know. And so whenever I need something, she's like, oh, she'll go out of her way to help me with it. Same thing with all my other mentors and advisors, because I'm open. Like, I always ask if I can help them. Even though you're, you, you may think that you're in a position that's below their position because these people are millionaires or billionaires or whatever the case may be. It's not really the case. Like they can always, you know, use your help and and you just provide that help to them for free. And it's like, you're, that's what real networking is. It's not just collecting business cards. It's like being of use to someone else and giving more than you get. And then once you, once you understand that concept, you know, life just gets so much easier because people are willing to invest in you as a person. Definitely. And so, Versafit, tell us about the thought process behind it and how did you get started with it? Uh, it's it, it's a long story. I'm going to try to sum up. <laughs> I don't want it to be too long. But basically, um, on my side, um, I have a business partner. Uh, my uh, my business partner and I both had similar ideas that came together to become Versafit. So I'll tell you um, my side of the story. So basically... In college, I had a lot of friends, um, in undergrad, say, in undergrad, I had a lot of friends. We would always go play basketball together. Like, I knew, you know, there's going to be good level of competition there. It's going to be fun. Uh, and then when we graduated, everybody moved. Or people got married, people got kids, they go away. Um, and then it's just me. I'm out here 
here in, you know, Orange County by myself, no real friends out here. So if I want to go play basketball, if I want to go play football, if I want to go do anything physically active, I have to, like, go to the gym and hope people are going to be there. Or I got to, you know, just go sign up for a league or something and then may or may or may not get along with, you know, the people that I get put on a random team with. And so I was just tired of, like, not having, you know, people to go with. Or if I do go, then it's like they're not really on the same level. And, you know, it's, it sucks. So I was like, you know, wouldn't it be, like, dope if there was, like, a, an, an app or a space where I could just go find people on my level to go play sports with? You know, basketball, football, volleyball. Like, I'll play badminton. I don't care. Like, I'm the type of person that I like being physically active. So if I see 20 people are playing, you know, <laughs> badminton at the local gym and they're like, hey, you want to come? I'm like, yeah, I could be the absolute worst person at it, but I'm going to play because it's fun and it's social. Uh, so that's, you know, how VersaFit, you know, came to be on my side. Um, on my business partner's side, he's a he's an Air Force veteran and he, you know, his, he's from a military family, so he moved around his whole life. So it was hard for him to, you know, maintain, you know, relationships with people uh, that he was working out with, and he also has, you know, people in his life that are obese that he wanted to help, you know, but he just couldn't divide himself up into many people. And so he was thinking, like, yo, man, I wish I had an app where I can help people uh, just do it, on, just find other people that are on the same level to do it. Like, if you're, you know, you're out of shape guy, but you want to be active, like, you can find someone else in your neighborhood that, you know, is either on your level or a little bit above your level, and you guys can just go do it together. And so we kind of combined our ideas, and then that's how VersaFit became. So we, you know, we're a sports and group fitness company, you know, because sports is my thing. Um, I, I don't, I'm not a big gym person, but I love to be active, love to play sports. He's a big gym person who also loves sports. So, I mean, it was just like, you know, a perfect matchup. Yeah, and I think that's been a great idea because I also think music is like a great thing to have. I want I would love to learn the correlation between music and working out, but there's nothing like having someone that you work out with and it will make you not want to be lazy because if somebody is, if you're pumped up, like, Reg, what's up, man? We going to the gym today? What's up, man? I'm ready. I'm going to think about hitting it hard right when I got off work. Pause. But uh, it's like, yo, if I'm like, oh, man, I'm, if I'm by myself and I'm feeling like, oh, I'm tired or I'm this or I'm that, I'm not going to want to do it. But having the person hold you accountable is, like, really a, a motivating thing. Like, right now, me and my wife are working out, and we're like, we, like, when I'm off, she's on. And when she's on, I'm off. Like, so it's like we balance each other out to, like, really go. But if it was us by ourselves, maybe we would have gave up because, you know, a lot of people need that. So I think this app can help a lot of people. I think it's a great idea. And I think it will help many, many people. And um, time will tell. And you heard an interview on this is recorded. But uh i think man it's gonna be great man i think this idea is really cool there's so many like kind of bad now nah, i'm not gonna say it's bad but like apps like dating apps and this and that like this is something that's positive because i'm learning a couple guys at work got tinder and stuff like that and they're like people are lying about their age because they're finding people they work with and they're like this versus there's no lying it's just something positive man and i feel like when you put good energy out in the world, it'll come back to you. So this is like a great idea that's really positive, man. And I just really hope that, you know, this is like going to work out for you. So uh, tell us about your team, man, because what I'm learning too, you're only as strong as your team. So tell us about the team you got and shout out to people that you work with and the people that made VersaFit possible. Yeah, definitely. Um uh, so it's myself. Uh, I'm the co-founder and uh, CTO. Um, I got several years of experience in business consulting and tech consulting. I uh, have my partner. Uh, his name is Julian Clark. Um, he uh, he's in the Air Force. Um, he has several years of uh, negotiations and contracting with the and government contracting. So he's worked for a lot of uh, military uh, type positions and uh, like uh, private. Uh, government contracting positions. Uh, we have Ava Herrera. Uh, she runs a company called Hollywood Health Empire. Uh, she's our VP of marketing. 
Um, she basically has helped hundreds of people reshape her, their lives through fitness. So she basically was doing what VersaFit is planning on doing on her own. Um, just but she's only one person, and she saw this as an opportunity to help multiple people at the same time. So she came on board. Um, from there, uh, my team is mostly just advisors. So uh, we have an advisor. His name is David Simmons. Uh, he was the executive director of the 1994 uh, World Cup. Uh, he's still a current active investor in the sports space. Uh, he's also helped us, you know, lend our first uh, contract with uh, Toka Football out here in Costa Mesa. Uh, we have a gentleman named uh, Bill Waldo. Uh, he's another entrepreneur, and um, he was in a completely different space. Uh, but he's been working in business development for, you know, quite a long time, so he helps us out a lot. Uh, let's see. There's a couple other people that I can't really think of their, their names at the moment because they, they haven't been as active recently. Um, but we've had a lot of help from, uh, like, local incubators. So UC Irvine has an incubator called The Cove. Uh, there's a, there's two gentlemen there that have helped me out tremendously. Um, uh, Howard and Ken. Uh, Howard's helped me build out a lot of uh, my financial numbers. Uh, and then Ken, uh, he's kind of like really good at like uh, just like tearing things apart and making you uh, defend what it is that you believe is going to work. Uh, so that's helped me, you know, get to the get to the point where I'm at right now. And then. Mostly, mostly the other thing that's just shout out to you know UC Irvine's uh, business school uh, for helping me you know in certain aspects, and then shout out to USC because my partner is currently at USC, and um, USC staff has helped us out. You know he's he's taking a bunch of entrepreneurship classes over there. Yeah, and our our team we have a bunch of uh, ambassadors uh, that I can't name them all by name, but. But yeah, we have a lot of uh, people that you know work with us on the ambassador side as well. So where do you want um, to see VersaFit go, or other business opportunities that you're pursuing? Like, what is your dream for it? Um, my my dream for VersaFit is uh, to take an IPO. I mean, that's that's kind of like what everybody wants to do. I mean, if you're running a company, you want to see it go public. Um, so I'd say within the next five years, I mean, I think that's a, a real big possibility uh, cons considering that, you know, tech companies take, you know, five years to seven years to, to know where they're going to be. I mean, worst case situation is uh, we get acquired, uh, right? And so there's, there's, there's other players in the space that have deeper pockets that have tried to do um, what we're doing before and it didn't work, which is why a lot of people told us that it's not going to work. Uh, but now we've noticed that some of these companies are uh, like Fitbit. Fitbit is actually it's funny because we actually uh, reached out to Fitbit, um, and they're actually going to start to try to do something like this again. Uh, and other um, Under Armour has tried it, uh, but I think they're missing that secret sauce. And unfortunately, I can't tell you the secret sauce on the podcast because then, then they have no. It. I wouldn't <laughs> want you to. I don't want you to say it. Yeah. Yeah. So we, they so they we, watch. They know. Yeah, so we figured out what the secret sauce was um, uh, maybe a couple months ago, and since we since we figured out what the secret sauce was, that's when we've been growing and getting way more attention. Um, so, but those would be the most likely companies to acquire us. Um, but that's the, the the goal with VersaFace IPO. I have a lot of other um, a lot of other ideas that I want to do. Like this, this is my passion. Like sports and fitness will always be my passion, but it's not my my true passion so when you say what other ideas do you want to do um what i want to do is i want to create um jobs in schools in poor communities like i want to educate poor people i want i want them to have that opportunity and level the playing field like when you start learning financial literacy at an early age um when you're when you're given a job opportunity that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise because you know, of the area you live in or the color of your skin or some, some, or your gender, your sexual preference, like any of this, this shit that just shouldn't matter. Like, that's my real passion. It's like, I want to be able to create a level playing field for people, especially minorities and people of color. 
So the only way to do that is to, you know, for VersaFit to be successful. You know, to one of my one of the companies that I'm working on, specifically VersaFit, has to be successful to give me the kind of capital that I'll need. Because everyone always says, oh, you can just do a nonprofit. Um, but I'm more I'm more like a, I can't think of his name right now. But I'm more like the founder of like, you know, Tom's and these type of companies that are for profit companies to have a social cause. Like you don't have to be a nonprofit to change the world. Like it's better to me if you're a for-profit company that has a social cause because then you don't need other people to put money into your accounts to make these things happen. It's like if I have – if I, I want to my, – my, my company's social cause is to fight obesity. So every – like the percentage of the money that we make, we donate it directly to companies that are fighting obesity and directly to charities that are fighting obesity. And so that's how like, – that's just a part of who I am, right? You know, it's okay to be a capitalist, to want to make money, but you also have to have that social side and to put money back in the community to help change lives so that you can inspire the next person to be like you or to be better than you. Definitely. So uh, IPO, I'm not familiar. I've heard that term, but I'm not going to act like I know exactly what it is. Can you please explain for the slow people like me what that is? Can you repeat the question? Uh, IPO, what is that? I'm oh, not sure what that I, is. Oh, so yeah, so IPO is initial public offering. So that's basically um, you've been running your company for a few years. Um, you got like, I think it's two years. I'm not 100% sure. So someone out there can correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe it's like two years of the, the backtrack showing your, your company's growth and, you know, revenue and all that stuff has to be made readily available. And then once that happens, then you prepare to go public. Um, and then you so – it's a whole lot of process I won't explain. But basically what you're saying is we're ready to sell off a chunk of our company to the public, and we're now ready for people to, you know, to buy in, buy shares. So, like, um, I think it's uh, – what is it? Dropbox. Dropbox just went uh, public, and they were originally projected to come out of, like, $16 a share, but they jumped up to $18 a share before they even came out. And I think right now they're sitting around like 30 bucks a share. And that's that's like that's the pie in the sky goal for most companies. Some companies are better off acquired. Uh, uh, Snapchat probably would have been a, a better job to get acquired, not because um, they're a bad company or anything, but um, – they 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 have the most active user base, but they don't know what kind of company they are. They don't know how to make money. So that so when you're public when you're a public company, it's all about money, making money and growing. If Snapchat would have sold at twelve billion or twenty billion, you know, then they wouldn't have to worry about these issues that they have now. So they, it's not like they failed. I mean, they still went public. They're still worth something. Um, but they're just in a situation right now where they have all these users, all these eyeballs, and they don't really want to make money. So, yeah, I, I'll jump all the way around that. But, yeah, IPO's initial public offering is basically when you're going to sell off a piece of your company to the public. And that's what I was going to ask you, but I clearly understand where you stand, uh, where I clearly know where you stand. I was going to ask you, do you think that was a mistake for them not to sell? But given, like, you didn't. Didn't know they didn't know that we didn't know that back then when they got the offer, but it was like yeah. Looking back now, it's like because now if they try to sell, it's like they're gonna get way like lower number. Like if they try to sell, yeah. so yeah, so it just is like yikes. I, I don't think it was a mistake, right? So when I think Facebook tried to buy them for like half a million, and they came back at like a billion, then they came back at like four billion. I was, if I was them, I would have said no, too, because they knew what they had. I mean, they knew they had a unicorn. Um, I think when they hit, when they got over $12 billion, that's when I personally would have sold the company um, because they don't have a real, um, a real like, a true business model. They don't know what they are. Like, are they a camera company? Um, like, are they, are they a marketing company? Are they a marketplace? Like, what are they? Like, they're just doing so much different stuff. And that stuff you can do fine when you're private. But when you're public, you have shareholders um, and you have the public to satisfy. And so 
I would love to have that problem. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's not well, a I problem. Think everybody would. Like <laughs> it's like, give me that problem where you have all these users and you just can't, you haven't figured out what's, how you're going to make money. I think they're going to come out of it. Right? Like, I'm personally betting on them to come out of it. Um, so I think, I think they're, they're smart people. They'll figure it out. It's just, you know, they gotta, they gotta, they gotta stop screwing with their users. Like they had their updates sucked. It was trash. Um, they had, uh, they had the whole Rihanna incident where they let a racial slur get through like, like quality. Like, I don't know how legal team didn't catch that. That was, they're having all these like, you know, hiccups that are happening right now that shouldn't be happening. And so they just got to figure their, they figure their shit out. But I, yeah. I wouldn't have sold, but at 12 billion though, I would have been like, yo, cut me the check. You know, we're, we're selling the company. Because I, that's personally, that's what my, my personal perception is what their value is. I think their value is about, you know, between 10 and 12 billion based on their eyes and their users. Um, but anything, they're, they're, they're looking to be a $20 billion company like Facebook, it's not going to happen. It's because they're, it, yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, because Facebook, Facebook, you know, they, they, they just got it right. Um, they, even if they, even if, even when people go away from Facebook, they're like, oh, I don't want to use Facebook no more. I'm going to Instagram. Facebook owns Instagram. You're still going to Facebook, right? So Facebook, like Zuckerberg, I mean, you got to give the man credit. Like he, he'll, if he, if he has a feeling that something's going to work, he'll go and buy it despite what his board says. Like, yo, I'm going to go buy Instagram for a billion dollars. Look what it turned into, right? People are like, oh, I hate Facebook. They're going to Instagram. Okay, cool. Well. We own Instagram. Go go right ahead. And their marketing tool is by far the best marketing tool, you know, I've used um, in order to get your products viewed by the people and sold by other people. And it's like, man, like, you know, I don't think Snapchat has that ability considering that their users are anti-Facebook users, most of them. So you, it's like, how do you how do you make money off of that? Yeah, I mean, for me, too, it's like if I made something and it was my baby, of course I would want to keep it. But when I get a number and a great offer, if I struck gold once, I probably can strike it again. But even if I don't, I have a, I have a 12 billion, 4 billion, whatever the fuck billion cushion to have, like, if I don't make it again. I have a big cushion. So that's why it's like, you know, I think one of the smartest moves was Dana White with the UFC. Because the UFC, he got oh, yeah. the shit hot. Him and Connor, they got it hot. And then people are like, oh, my God, they're going to sell the UFC. What the fuck are they doing? That's stupid. But he's seen what Connor was doing with the Floyd Mayweather. And so they sold it, and he still got the – be, like still be involved with the company, so that deal was the sweetest deal. Because right now UFC is kind of in the standstill. Because after Conor made that fucking money, all of these people rethinking their whole game. And now UFC, I heard they trying to offer Anthony Anthony Joshua some money to fight UFC, but that shit ain't gonna work. Because the UFC fighters get paid chicken fucking scratch to go out there and kill themselves. So I think Dana White. <laughs> Dana White way of doing it was genius. Like he made that yeah. bitch hot, and then he, they sold it, and he still got to be, like be a part of it and keep control. So he fucking he he. I mean, he robbed him. He robbed him with no gun. He robbed him with a pin. He, he made a deal. I was like, wow. And that's corporate thugging, and that's what I want to get you know all people to understand. Um, but definitely black people, always. I, I, that's near to my heart. So I definitely want to get us into the mindset, fuck robbing a bank, fuck getting in on a block. Nigga, let's take some real legit business. You get pulled over in your nice-ass car, you got paperwork for all this shit, and ain't in nobody's name. You ain't got uh, shit in the trunk, you ain't hot. You're going to laugh at it. Like, you know, hey, whatever, man, this shit is regular. Of course you wouldn't expect me to be driving this car. But we are, and we're doing it legit. That's where, like, I would love for us to be. And we're going to be there. I'm telling you, with the Internet, and um, I was telling somebody earlier, I heard that Jay-Z and Puffy are, like, uh, going in on an app 
to show yes, people sir. what black companies are in the area. This shit is picking up for real. It really is. And it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And then with Black Panther doing so good, this shit is picking up. And it's like, it's time. I'm in a position now with the podcast and different things showing my nieces and nephews how to get it so they don't even have to ever have a boss ever in life. Let's own that bitch. We don't want to work at it. That's what we want to do. So that's what I'm, I'm, I'm on, man. And I really feel diversity is a great idea because it really helps for the single people or the person that their husband or their spouse don't want to go work out with them. They find like a workout buddy or you're new to an area. Versity is a great idea. I hope nothing for the best for it. And I, I believe it's going to work. It's a great idea. So just keep your head down. Keep grinding, man. You and your whole team, man, y'all are going to do it. Um, I want to definitely shout out your sister, Ebony, and I want to shout out my boy, Brandon, uh, Chisholm, you know, and uh, I, I wish he was here. I got some fucked up shit on my car. I know he was fixed, but, uh, man, just shout out to your whole family and any shout out to anything you want to leave before you go, any way to reach you or anything before you go, anything you want to say. Yes. Yeah, so, so um, I say thank you for your time. You know, let me, let me bless the podcast. Um, we have a we have a big event coming up for those in the LA area. Uh, we have an b- event coming up March thirty first from nine to three at Griffith Park. Uh, it's right across from the Ranger Station. It's basically giving people the chance to experience their versus fit experience. So we'll be having games like bubble soccer, tug of war, giant yard pong. Um, you know, there'll be good food. We'll have the guy. Uh, all flavor, no grease. He'll be out there. Uh, we'll have the grilled, you know, the grilled cheese truck. They'll be out there. So just, you know, big, you know, food names, you know, sponsors. This is a great time. And anybody who wants to reach me, you can reach me at Alton at VersaFitApps.com. That's A-L-T-O-N at V-E-R-S-A-F-I-T-A-P-P.com. Okay, man. Hey, man, I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your time. Um, once again, anybody listen to this, write a review. Tell us how you like the podcast, how you don't like the podcast, you think I'm fucking whack, whatever. Write something because I just want to see that. Uh, I want to interact. So, and I can, I can shoot. I can shoot. So, like, anybody can do it. Yeah. Hey, man, tell me because I can't be successful if everybody kisses my ass. If somebody say, like, yo, you really need to stop saying this. You really need to do that. You really need to go like that helps me. So whatever, please write a review on um, Apple Podcast app. Uh, comment on SoundCloud. Um, tell a friend, man. Cause I really believe in all these apps and shit is cool, and having friends and shit, having thousands of followers is cool. But I really still believe in the word of mouth method. I really believe that it's right. So just tell people about Versafit. Tell people about this is recorded podcast. And tell people about anything you got going on or any ideas. You never know what you're going to make out of it. But uh, please download that VersaFit app. Go to the event. Check it out. It may be something good, man. Take your family member. Take anybody. Take your mom. Take everybody, man. Take any, so somebody that's obese, not to be disrespectful, but just like, hey, like, hey, let's go to this thing. It's going to be a cool little event, and maybe it'll turn into something. It might inspire them. You don't know until you take them. So VersaFit, they got the event, they got the app, and, man, they take it over, man, and fuck the Lakers is all I have to say. <laughs> I hate the I Lakers. Try to slide that last thing to do. You know how the fuck, you know how we get down, but, hey, man, thank you. Hey. Thank you for uh, the podcast, man. This is recorded podcast. Boy, Alton, VersaFit, y'all. Peace. We out.